Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. This is Dr. Mari Sakasa, and just grateful to have you joining me for another amazing episode. Okay, well, recently, Christianity Today released a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. That podcast chronicles the events of a megachurch that is about 12 parts in length with a couple bonus episodes and really gets into the weeds of how Mars Hill rose to prominence and was built around the personality of a fiery pastor. But then the show is also about how things fell apart rather quickly. But what the show is really about is how God's providence still manifests itself in the midst of these tragedies. So even though I'm not evangelical, nor am I from Seattle, I've actually never been to Seattle, this podcast, honestly, the one from Christianity Today, it really touched somewhere deep inside of me. I think it really put a spotlight on an issue that I've encountered personally and in the lives of many of my clients. That is, what happens when celebrity, pride, vanity, and spiritual abuse happens in the church. If you have ever given your life and energy to a ministry, a religious order, or a movement, only to encounter a system of control or abuse, then this episode of Always Hope is for you. So today's show isn't so much about the events of Mars Hill, but again, it's an analog in terms of the things that I've seen in Catholic environments. You don't have to listen to the Mars Hill podcast to follow along, but all I'm asking is for you just to keep an open mind with this particular episode. There is something profound. There's a great mystery at work. When, when, when our discernments fall apart because of human sin. So, joining me on the show to talk about all this cheery stuff is Austin Ashcraft, who is a good friend of mine from North Carolina. Austin is the person who first tipped me off to the Mars Hill podcast, and we've had many conversations about the podcast, but honestly about these themes over the years. And so today we just decided to hit the record button. So consider this episode just two friends talking about their ministry battle scars and how we're still trying to make sense of it all. So in today's episode, we do talk talk about specifically the dangers of celebrity culture. Is success the only measure of God's providence? Question mark. Joshua Harris and Audrey Assad's reasons for leaving their respective face, their stories, we talk about that briefly. The importance of asking questions when facing doubts, the role doubt plays in the spiritual life, and the lingering impact of spiritual abuse and what it does to people's relationship to God, to their faith. What does it do to their faith? So when the show is done, please leave a comment on Facebook or Instagram. If anything we say today resonates with your experience, please, I want to know. Please let us know. But regardless, wherever you find yourself today, know that I'm praying for your dear listener. Thank you so much for giving me your time. And so, all right, let's just get into this conversation with Austin Ashcraft. Austin Ashcraft. I didn't say that right. Let's start over. <laughs> Just butcher your name right out of the gates. Sounded <laughs> good to me. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Austin Ashcraft, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. <laughs> How are you doing, man? Doing well, Mario. How are you? <laughs> yeah, doing great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. So tell the people, man, introduce yourself. What, 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 what are you doing up in North Carolina? Yeah, so uh, my name's Austin Ashcraft. I'm living in Black Mountain, North Carolina, just outside of Asheville, working at a Christian summer camp for boys up here, Camp Rockmont, so year-round uh, program director. Praise the Lord. That has Great absolutely to nothing be. to do with what we're going to be talking about, yeah. but I just wanted everybody to know. <laughs> <Since you asked. laughs> there is a town called Mars Hill about uh, 15 minutes north of me, so there's that. Oh wow, that's just yeah. a coincidence. Has I haven't figured nothing. out the correlation. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, you're the first person to have tipped me off to the Marcel podcast. So tell me, like, tell us what it is. What what drew you to it? How did you find out about it? And why did you share it with me? Yeah, so I guess I had a really long road trip this summer, driving back from Colorado with Raft Guy and driving back to Louisiana and looking for some podcasts to listen to on the way. And of course, podcast not named Always Hope, of course. Of course, I was going to say, of course, I had run out of Always Hope podcast. (laughs) So I listened to all of them four times. Liar. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, a friend recommended it, and I I looked it up, and I figured I'd just listen to an episode and listen to the first episode. And within about five minutes, I was like, oh my God, I'm hooked. I'm here for it. And uh, proceeded to binge like, however many were currently released that time, which I think it was six. Um, but yeah, it's basically about, uh, it's done by Christianity Today, and it's a podcast kind of docu-series 
uh, for those who haven't uh, listened to it kind of if you've anyone's listened to serial it's pretty similar to that and that like it tells a story uh, chronologically so you start with the first episode and, and listen through and it's a really fascinating really well done job of looking at a church uh, called mars hill that kind of rose to prominence in the late 90s early 2000s became a mega church had a lot of satellite campuses uh centered around pastor mark driscoll who if you're in the non-denom or evangelical world is a name you probably are familiar with right and uh and just about the story of of how it kind of fell apart oh how it rose and how it was a really beautiful thing for a lot of people in a lot of ways um, but also a lot of the problems behind having a pastor like that and having someone have that much power centralized uh, and and the damage that that can cause but what i really appreciate about it it's not like a hit piece Mm-hmm. Uh, and I appreciate that the podcast is done by Christians, so they have kind of the insider take. It's not like NPR is coming in and just ripping apart this thing that happened. Um, but rather it's done from people who know and have lived through this and understand the faith background that they're coming from and, and try and see how God even worked amidst yes. the messiness and the chaos. So I just really appreciate that perspective. And I think in many ways it's a critique for us in the American Christian church to take an honest look at ourselves. For me, it's really been like a personal examination of conscience. And I think it's an examination of conscience for all denominations, Christian church, especially the Catholic church in America. And what are we really about? What are we promoting? Uh, And yeah, I think in many ways it's a clarion call, a chance to kind of take stock of where we are and how we've got here and how we want to move forward. Uh, Amen. Agreed. And I think what's incredible about, the the show because you recommended it to me similar I, I I mean you recommended it to me and then another friend recommended it to me like a week later and I was like okay I'll I'll make time to listen to the podcast and same as you I was hooked right out of the gates and I think for me it's it's exactly what you said which is it's I don't think it's a hit piece at all against Mark Driscoll or rather it is a commentary on why do we tolerate celebrity. Um, not just tolerate, why do we seek celebrity as as a form of authority? And why do we tolerate toxic situations, toxic places? Um, in my own life, I've been in certain ministries and in, in, in places within the church that have echoed, I would say, some of the stuff that, I, that I'm hearing in the Mars Hill podcast. So for me, I, I found it actually to be um, a healing. And that fi- it's like another, another voice that's kind of affirming the, the conclusions that I came to. And in many ways, I think, what they're doing in the show is things that I've been trying to do even with my own podcast in terms of trying to bring nuance and clarity towards pain and suffering and difficulty and saying, you can't just write it all off. And I think as much as like the, the bad things happen in the Mars Hill story, and there are significant things, at the same time, he's also upholding that there are good circumstances and good fruit that emerge from this in people's lives. People came to know Jesus Christ through the Mars Hill experience, um, even if Mark Driscoll at some point was, um, you know, kind of a, 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 a bad person, or I don't know, I want to say bad person, that's probably too negative. I don't, you know, it's somebody who, who clearly had uh, some personality kind of issues, I would say. Sure. Um, and so it, it's trying to uphold both at the same time in terms of like when things go bad, how, how do we, how do we navigate and, and manage both? So I, I'm always drawn to these type of stories. I, 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 I mentioned to you, I think that I, I found it similar also to, there's a great series on, on HBO max called the, the vow, which follows people who are coming out of the cult, the Nexium cult, which it's not exactly the same. Obviously there wasn't a mm. sex cult. Marcel wasn't a sex cult for sure. <laughs> but, 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 but the Nexium story, it's similar in that it's a, it's a, there's a charismatic individual who has a very clear purpose of in, in, in that purpose, he loses himself. Now in the Nexium story, I think the guy is, is a straight up sociopath and the whole thing was a, was a, was a facade and it was all for financial gain. So it's, it's not, again, it's not exactly an analog, but sure. what you're seeing is that there's, there's a similar script that plays out in these toxic environments where somebody has a very strong personality and is able to dominate. And then in that ability to dominate, they're able to find a very clear pecking order and they have a very clear mission. And that clear mission is what draws others, followers uh, to him or her. Um, and then and then all of a sudden it just it becomes an intermingling of of, uh, 
you know, w- w- what is really what's real. And so so we're going to get into all of these things, you know, kind of breaking up the, the, the whole show. Um, but I think one of the things I want to say before we kind of move along is that somebody might be listening to this and being like, well, what are we going to be talking about? And do I have to listen to the Mars Hill podcast and engage in this conversation to listen to this particular podcast? And I would say, no, we're going to try our best to kind of hit on some of the themes and really try to to, to be a, a bridge and a connecting point between the themes that are discussed in the Mars Hill story and what we may see in the in the Catholic culture as a whole. And in our Catholic faith, we, of course, we we have to be honest talking about the scandal. And we have to be honest talking about what, what caused that. Why do we allow these things? Why do key ministry leaders behave in certain way, whether they're clerics or lay people. I think that there is a there is a, a clear connection between what they're doing with the, the, the Mars Hill podcast and what we can reflect on as a people of, of a Catholic faith and a Catholic tradition. And so I think that, like you said, it's a clarion call that it's a story that we any one of us who's in a position of leadership, whether it's a small or big, we all have to take note of what are what are the things that happen that can cause a really good thing to to go astray, and and he lays out very clearly uh, the the you know Mark um, excuse me the Marcel podcast lays out very clearly kind of what those temptations are and 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 how to sort of avoid them if we're if we're paying attention to it. So, any other thoughts before we kind of jump into this further, Austin? No, I think you nailed it. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, let's go. So the the, the first thing I think is that they address so they address a few things and we're going to kind of talk through each of them one is um celebrity culture in the church um a culture of spiritual abuse and confusion between um, a man's mission a church's mission and mm-hmm. the overall mission of the the whole salvation mission of the whole church and then i'd like to also talk about kind of the brand and uh kind of concerns that come with the brand as, as well um so let, let, just briefly, you know, talking about kind of celebrity culture in, in the church, one of the things that they, they highlight very clearly is a temptation for us. And this is one of those episodes where the spotlight comes back on us, where we as, as the lay faithful have to kind of be reflecting on ourselves in terms of saying, like, what is it about fame that why do we uphold celebrities as much as we do? What is it about celebrity that gives people a sense of authority? And, and that question is one that they challenge throughout the whole episode of, is celebrity enough to give somebody authority or does authority genuinely need to be given by something else? Now, again, God genuinely gives authority to people and we have bosses and we have leaders in place that God certainly has appointed into those positions. So I'm not saying that authority needs to be dismissed in any way, but, but where does authority come from? And, and why do we have such a high value on celebrity, both in the church and as an American culture as a whole? Thoughts on that, Austin? Yeah, I think obviously I, this incident of Mars Hill didn't happen in a vacuum. You know, it happened in the greater context of our Western world, particularly in America. And I, I think it happened at a particular time. Mars Hill, as it gained notoriety and popularity, the internet was exploding. You know, they were the first ones to this whole idea of video sermons and, and things like that. And all of that, how that segued into social media and how anyone who has any type of following for whatever reason that following is for, whether it's because they're good looking or they're athletic or whatever, automatically has authority to speak because they have an audience. And so, you know, we have a culture today where influencers can speak on things they don't know anything about, you know, and, and people listen to them and athletes can speak on politics and And everyone wants to know what people they like and people they follow, what they think on things. And so we have kind of given over the superficial authority, I think, to anyone that has any type of following, which anyone can get if you try hard enough to (laughs) gain enough of a following. And and so I think in many ways we pass over that authority and and that's become incredibly problematic as we've seen. And so I, I think Marcel kind of took place in the context of all that was coming to the forefront and you know i think there's obviously just something in human nature we want to have numbers we care about uh uh producing results you know and and mark i think he kind of saw that he saw the potential for what that could be and, and capitalized on it and and spread his message far and wide uh, you know whether or not he had the actual uh perhaps training or, or theology to do that uh, and once you start doing that, I think there's also this expectation to keep producing uh, and keep people interested, keep people engaged. So whatever ways you need to do that uh, with more 
kind of controversial sermons, saying things just to get a rise out of people. And I think he was just kind of testing that, you know, and, and the more that he did that and he saw the more people want to listen, the more people are clicking on your clickbait sermon title. Uh, it's kind of this feedback loop. And, uh, you know, so yeah, in many ways, I don't think he's uh, certainly not all to blame, you know, no. it's a two way street there. It, and I'll say, I mean, that's the temptation of any of us who are in this yeah. industry. You know, I've, I launched this podcast three years ago. I'm active on social media and sure. Do I want followers. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Well, I mean, I believe in the message of the show. I believe in the work that I'm doing that, you know, we're doing here with Willwoods. And I would love to be able to to share this message far and wide. But man, I tell you, it's it's a struggle. You know, whenever I launch yeah. an episode to not very quickly check to see how many downloads it gets in that first week or uh, when I put a post up to to not see, you know, not be deflated if it doesn't do as well as another post does or something. I mean, all of that stuff is is very, very real. And it's yeah. And it's it's an easy conflation to say, well, the more successful episodes are the better ones. Not necessarily. Or yeah. that the, the better episodes or that the more successful ones are the ones that, that God blessed the most or something of that nature. And again, yeah. not necessarily. I think yeah. the show does a wonderful job ex- exploring this question of, of is success always in God's plan? And the answer is no. There's a quote here. I forget one of the episodes that they say something like this. It says like a... Sometimes a whole new darkness happens when we win, mm, you yeah. know. So to the point that you're making about about Mark Driscoll and saying, you know, is is it? I mean, who knows? I can't I can't tell you what the will of God is. I have no idea, yeah. you know. Like yeah. all I know though is that like Kim Kardashian is successful for a reason, and is that what's best for her and her soul? I don't. I get. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but but these are questions that that we certainly need to ask. And I think there's a quote of of Jim Carrey who said something like. Um, you know, I wish everybody would be rich and famous so you could see that's not the answer. You mm-hmm. know, like Jim Carrey's had his own struggles with celebrity at, over the last you know few years, and in yeah. terms of his own demons that he's had to wrestle within within that. Um, but I think that there's something in it that, like, of course it's seductive. Of course, there is an element that we want fame, we want celebrity, we want popularity, and and so I think. For me, in terms of the way I'm trying to navigate this is the only thing I genuinely have control over is the quality of the show. And and I want to be able to put a podcast together that is of high quality, for that's engaging to people. And then wherever the chips fall on the other side of that, it falls. And I've come to great peace and acceptance that the only thing I genuinely have control over is, is the product itself. Wherever it goes, whoever it listens, wherever it falls, that is completely on the Lord. And, and if some episodes do better than others, then I am, I'm at peace with it because I feel that w- what I'm doing is my part of this, which is the, the, the quality aspect of it. And I, and I take pride in the work that we do in terms of making sure that this show was of high quality out of the gates and, and being able to have in- interesting interviews and conversations and doing all of that. So, but there is, of course, the temptation to be like, well, let's make it bigger. Let's make it, you know, let's keep going. Let's, let's get it, you know, as, and it's like, man, like that, all of that, I have to caution within my own heart and my own self um, because bigger isn't always better. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of weight for anyone to carry, you know, and I think we throw that weight on people without questioning whether or not they're ready to carry it or they take it on themselves, you know, if they have a character to deal with that type of success or fame. To go back to that quote you mentioned, I think that quote of everything in the podcast, if I had to pull out one thing, however many episodes there are, that one quote really uh, hit me pretty hard. And because they're talking about, hey, let's not just look at Mark Driscoll and think he's a monster. You know, what would you do if you built this empire, basically, and people are trying to take it away from you? Uh, you know, what is the darkness of of potential failure, or what, what would you do if it's just success after success and the winds are at your back and you're charging forward and you're the reason all these people have had a life-changing experience and now they're looking to you for support, you know, that there's a darkness when we fail, but there's a greater darkness when all we do is succeed. Right. And man, when I heard that, I was driving and I like, I was on the air, I almost pulled the car over. <laughs> I was just like, damn, I don't yeah. know if I can say that, but. I'm gonna um, have to bleep it out, but that's okay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I had to pull the car over, or I almost did, you know, just because it, it hit me so hard, just the mm-hmm. weight of, even my own life, like the successes that I've had in ministry and how. Yes. I felt 
after many years of having a really successful ministry, whatever that even means, I don't know. But according to our common metrics or standards of a feeling like, man, if it just keeps up like this, like this could ruin me. And I felt yeah. it start to do that. And it, it, it scared me when I would have those moments of, you know, everyone's looking to you and all these parents are calling you like, oh, could you help my son? You help this person. And, and there's something that always just felt kind of off about me, but you know, you also love it and you want that attention. And so I, I totally relate to that. And I, I think that is part of the self-examination that this offers us, you know, um, both when we fail and when we succeed, what does that do to us? How does our character respond? Amen. Amen. And our character is the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. And and yeah. they make that bundly clear throughout the whole series is that our character is, is primo. It's the only thing that matters. And so one of the things that with, with, with regards to celebrity culture and the confinement and the pressure that we're experiencing, there's one episode that they dive, it's entirely dedicated to the Joshua Harris story. And for yeah. Catholics who don't know the story, it's, um, evangelical at a young age who wrote a book called like kiss dating goodbye that really set the stage for an entire culture of dating um in the late 90s early 2000s and it had um a, a profound effect on evangel on youth evangelical youth in terms of their understanding of dating which ended up being backlash because it was viewed as being overly restrictive and rigid and used as a weapon um, against kind of the people who were dating and, and it brought a lot of confusion and, and shame and Joshua Harris later recounts the book and asks the publisher to stop publishing it. This was like a few years ago. And then Joshua Harris loses his faith and uh, is no longer a practicing Christian. And I think is even divorced from his wife now. So it's really just a, a terrible story, you know, when you yeah. from start to finish. But I will say if, if, if Catholics listening to this aren't familiar with the Joshua Harris story, then one that I think we might be more familiar with is the Audrey Assad story, which if we read recently the, the, um, um, her losing her faith, um, just here recently she, she came out and, and it was an article in the National Catholic Register, I believe, or reporter, I always get the two confused, my apologies. And, and she was very open was in terms of the reporter. She was very open in, in the interview, which I thought was very, very beautiful of her. And she didn't, she didn't need to do it, you know, obviously she yeah. didn't need to share her story. So for her opening up just to give us a window as to what happened and, and, and why she feels that she, why is it that she lost her faith? As I read her story, I, I, again, I saw similarity with the Joshua Harris stuff and I saw similarity with the Mark Driscoll stuff, which is that when you become a celebrity at a young age and people are putting pressure on you, all of a sudden people put pressure on you to conform and to act a certain way. And some of the questions that Audrey Assad was asking in her piece were real questions about yeah. doubt, about faith, yeah. about sexuality, about relationships. I mean, they were they were legitimate questions that we shouldn't be afraid to ask. But if we're being propped up, propped up, propped up, and we're being confined, 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 and we have to certain conform to a certain way, and we're not given freedom to really wrestle with these questions, to really engage and understand, like, what is our doubts conveying about us? What is, what is my hesitation about this? What is it genuinely saying inside of me? Like, all of those things are not something we should fear. Like, God is... God allows doubt to happen and questions to happen because he's always drawing us deeper, both at, a, at an emotional level, but even at an intellectual level in terms of deepening our understanding of who he is. And so if we, we, if we are not given freedom to ask these questions, which was my interpretation, again, I could be wrong, but that's the way I interpreted what Audrey was saying, was in not being, not given the freedom to be able to answer these, ask these questions, it finally became too constricting. And it was kind of like, well, forget it. If this is, if this is what the Catholic brand means is you're not supposed to ask these questions, then I'm out because I can't deny that I'm having these questions. Yeah. And, and of course, the Catholic faith is not about that. Yeah. The Catholic faith says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? Like ask and you shall find, knock and the door will be open for you. I mean, like there is a petition that, that Christ is encouraging us to, to keep going, but to not be afraid to ask these questions. Mm -hmm. But when we're not given permission to because of some pro celebrity or, or being propped up or we have to look a certain way or we have to conform to a certain image, especially if you're a public figure, I mean, God bless her. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, what, what, what else are you supposed to do? What, yeah. I mean, just what else are you supposed to do? So, mm. I, I mean, it, it, it challenges all of us to, to not be afraid to ask these questions, if we have questions, and in, to, to engage at a deeper level so, so that we can seek and find what exactly God is asking of us. Yeah, and I think that, that we create that culture amongst the Catholic and Christian celebrities and put that pressure on them. 
And then we see that cascade down to your everyday run of the mill Catholic or Christian and how that affects them. And I've, I've seen that in my own life. Certainly. I mean, I read that book in high school and it messed me up, um, for a long time. And, but we see that often it's so prominent, I think today in Catholic circles and in youth group culture, it's like, well, everyone needs to think this way and talk this way and dress this way. And these are the rules. This is what it looks like to be a good Catholic. And, and that's so frustrating. It's not just frustrating is a soft word for that. <laughs> I could say a lot well, of other I can words. bleep it out if you're going to jump another one. You know, like if you got a stronger word, I'll, 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 get, the, I'll, get, the, I'll get the horn ready, you know. <laughs> but it's a sin. It's sinful, I think. And, and I would say it's diabolical. It's a sin against the Catholicity of the church. And that's something I, I love about my Catholic faith. It's one of the four marks of the church. It's Catholic. It's universal. Universal. Uh, and so there's... Uh, infinite number of expressions and ways it can look and questions that can be asked and and uh, trails that can be blazed up the mountain of God. It's, n- it's not just one way. And so when we're presenting in our youth ministry, well, you know, and not just youth ministry, I think in all Catholic circles, young adult ministry, adult ministry, just general parish culture and life, this is what it has to look like. And you can't ask these questions. And these are the church's teachings. And, uh, you know, I think people do that in order to try and simplify uh, the church teaching, which is always so much more complex and nuanced than it's presented, but we want to present it in such a way that it's something easy that people can grab onto and they can believe in. And they talk about this in the, the Marcel podcast. If you can present a clear mission, you know, this is the problem. This is evil. This is good. This is wrong. This is right. And we're going to go out there and fight and, and, and we're going to take this battle on head first. If you can give a mission that type of clarity, then of course people want to jump in. But if it's nuanced, right, which is the reality of life, it's messy, it's complex, and we're asking questions and we're not so sure, and you can doubt, uh, and, and that's just the reality of it. And, but it's not, as, it's not as easy to rally around that, right, and go fight whatever it is we're trying to fight because the enemy perhaps isn't as clearly distinguished. Or maybe, call me crazy, God doesn't want us to fight in that sense. I mean... <laughs> Jesus well, I mean, like the the, the, the central the central message of the gospel is is not sexy. I mean, yeah. like it's yeah, it's, it's not. Give up your possessions, sell your possessions, yeah. give it to the poor, pick up your cross, come after yeah. me. He who loses his life will find it. He who f- seeks to preserve it will lose it. I mean, like put those on bumper stickers and see how many you'll sell. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, but, but that's but that's that's the mission that's the mission of the church, and so. But when you're talking about the way, and, and I want people to know this very clearly, I mean, like, we believe in the way. We believe that there's a magisterium. Yeah. We believe Absolutely. that there are Ten Commandments. We believe that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again and opened the pathways to life. And so there is a way. There is a path. There is a spirituality. And there is an understanding of how to follow God. The problem is that when we elevate a particular ministry or a particular parish or a particular book, or a particular author, or a particular speaker, to the level of the way, when yeah. we confuse their way, a particular spirituality, a particular spirituality, exactly, exactly. Yeah. When we confuse their way, or the way that God used to speak to us as the way, capital T H E, capital W A, you know, Y, if I spelled that right. That's the one. <laughs> like, you know, I did pretty good. My, my wife would be proud. But like, so if we if we confuse the two, that's where the problem comes, and that's that's where it becomes idolatry, and and that's where it becomes ripe for for spiritual abuse. Um, but so this goes into the second point here that I like for us to talk about is 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 the notion of spiritual abuse. When when I was at Florida State University um, many many years ago as an undergraduate. The campus ministry, Catholic Student Union, was run by a group of religious brothers called the Brotherhood of Hope. Shout out to the Brotherhood of Hope. Brother Sam, trying to get you on the show, hopefully sometime <laughs> soon. Um, but Brother Sam, God bless him, who was the director of the ministry at the time, it, it was had a marketing background. He was in advertising before he became a brother. He was an artist. So he definitely had a very clear eye for v- visual graphics, even before all of this was in vogue. This is like late mm. 90s, early 2000s. Um, and so he was well ahead of the curve in terms of saying that ministries had to have this. So he really understood that. But, but one of the things that he said with the Catholic Student Union, he said at Florida State University, there was like, I don't know, 30,000 students at the time, 35,000 students, you know. And, you know, the campus ministry probably had, I would say, 
you know, 200 weekly attendees, you know, so you're looking at maybe six, 800, probably somewhere on their list. And that's was successful, certainly by the number standard, but certainly not all, you know, whatever couple thousand that there were Catholics that there were at FSU or registered Catholics at, at FSU at the time. But Brother Sam was always humble enough and, and, and beautiful enough to say to us, this was great. He, when we were on the leadership team, he would say, while we're doing is certainly good, a Catholic at FSU, a Catholic student at FSU doesn't have to come to CSU to be a good Catholic. Like, let's never forget that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like if yeah. if if somebody is practicing their faith in their own way and they're going to mass and they're they're able to encounter Christ in a different way, then praise Jesus. That's it. If they want to come to CSU and they want this to be part of their experience and their journey of faith, then awesome. But we can never we can never equate one with the other. That for yeah. somebody to be a good Catholic at FSU, they have to participate in CSU. And yeah. and Brother Sam made that very clear to us. And and I thought that that one of those lessons that have stuck with me throughout my whole life is to say, sure, yeah, what we're doing is one particular way, but it's not the way. Like, it's not mm-hmm. it's not at the highest level. And so with the Mars Hill story is that at some point there becomes a confusion of those two. And so yeah. you have an individual who who is a charismatic firebrand of a personality um, and who creates this very successful ministry. And so then th- his identity becomes synonymous with the institution's identity. And because he's then taking on this identity of, of, of faith or whatever, all of a sudden now he's convinced himself or the institutions convinced themselves that this is the best way that the gospel or whatever should be manifest. So now you no longer differentiate Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll, Jesus. It all becomes yep. all synonymous with one another. And when that yep. happens, man, right there, that's, that is is 100% uh, ripe for spiritual abuse. Yeah, and it's totally understandable why so many uh, Christians and Catholics like Joshua Harris or Audrey Assad or even those who aren't famous kind of step away from their faith when they enter new adulthood because they can start thinking for themselves and they're like, hey, that never really felt comfortable to me. Whatever was going on there, I didn't feel like I could be my authentic or genuine self, but I just forced it for a long time because I thought that's what Christianity has to look like. And they were never given the freedom to come to their own understanding of Christianity, their own relationship with God. And that used to be something I would tell, you know, a lot of my students, they would come to like, a youth group I ran and be like, Hey, if youth group's not your thing, that's totally cool. If this youth group isn't your thing, that's, that's fine. That's great. Like as, as long as you can find a way uh, to encounter God and have a relationship with him, I don't care what it, it doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to sound a certain way. And just to give people that freedom and kind of disarms them because they're expecting you to be like, you have to they're expecting you to tell them to fall in line. And when you give them that freedom, uh, a lot of times they either happily uh, go that way or they find their own way. But right. I mean, just to give it to, to hold on to that freedom, I think is so essential, but I see how it could be so tempting for someone like Mark, you know, when you're drawing a huge crowd to not leave space for doubt, just to want to give absolute clarity. Cause then it's gonna, it's gonna grow your numbers to geek out for a moment. My favorite, favorite brother song. They're my favorite <laughs> band. The way to lie is one of my favorite lines in that song is, um, I once heard the worst thing a man can do is draw a hungry crowd, tell everyone his name and pride and confidence and leaving out his doubts. And um, <laughs> I, mean, I just think that's so profound. You know, it's so tempting to draw a crowd and to want them to listen to you and to, to speak with such uh, clarity and not to speak with that type of vulnerability. Like, Hey, I don't have it all figured out. And that's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out too. Let's walk together and, and figure this out. It's like you said, it's not as sexy. It's not as attractive. And it's, it's the gospel, but it is the gospel. And with like the Avid brother song, like you just said, I mean, the temptation is then to, to say that I have to have it all. I have to have it all, yeah. you know, and I can draw the crowd and I can, I can feed them. But again, there's a place where God certainly gives us a particular message. You know, we have an opportunity to, to share something, something puts, God puts something on our heart. That's great. You offer that and then, and then you exit stage right. You know, like that's it. Like, it's like, Lord, I've said what I needed to say. I've put out into the world what I thought I needed to put out. And then, and then that's it. And then you, you, you'll let the chips fall where they may, and then you move on.
Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa and I'm just taking a quick break from my conversation with Austin Ashcraft to just encourage you to check us out at faithinmarriage.org. At faithinmarriage.org, we have a full list of marriage retreats available for you for 2022. We have 12 retreats there. You can certainly sign up and register for one of our retreats. Or if you want to invite us to come out and give a lecture at your parish or at your ministry or retreat center or diocesan event, whatever it is, then certainly Jason Angelette and myself would be more than excited to come out and to offer some reflections for you about marriage or hope or faith or any of this lovely stuff that we talk about on this podcast. You can check us out at faithinmarriage.org to sign up for those retreats or to, to contact us about potential speaking engagements. Unfortunately, though, when, 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 when we only view a fruit based on those numbers, mm. whether they're financial, whether they are, um, uh, you know, just, just population in terms of number of people that mm-hmm. interact, then, then there becomes pressure to, to have to continue that, like you said. And so I think where the place where it becomes spiritual abuse is when we start conflating or confusing the gospel in terms of like, am, am, am I taking advantage of people's desire for faith for my own personal gain? Yeah. And I think for any of us who are in the marketplace of selling products or selling ideas for gain we, that, are, that are using Christian imagery, Christian language, we have to be very cautious with this. And this is something that as, I, as I'm sitting here getting ready to launch my first kind of product, which is a dating series um, called Dating Well that it, it, you know, I could talk about later. But like, this is something that I've deeply wrestled with in terms of, like, am, am I doing this just to make a buck? I do believe I, can, I should sell it for a profit. I do sure. believe that, there, that there's nothing wrong with, with having a price tag to it because it certainly it offers a certain sense of value. But, but what deeply is my motivation here? You know, when Jesus... When Jesus, you know, is, is ticked off Jesus, as a, as a priest friend of mine used to say, you know, comes with the, with the cord of whips and, and casts the money changers out of the temple. It's not, so, it's not so much that the money changers are doing anything wrong. It's that where they're doing it is the issue. It's that they, are, they have set up shop and turned, turned the temple into a marketplace. And so people had to go to the temple to worship. And so location, 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 they took advantage of the location, knowing that everybody in the city would have to go to the temple, that if they had prime real estate right there, then they could make a buck, they could make a ton of money. Yeah. And so it's not so much that they were, what they were doing was inherently wrong, but it's that they were deliberately taking advantage of people's faith and need for worship to make a buck. That's what ticked Jesus off. And that's what fits in accordance with his chastisement of the Pharisees when they confuse their authority um, for for our own personal gain. When anything anything that, that mucks up people's faith or that takes advantage of people's faith for personal gain, whether that's vanity or whether that's pride or whether that's financial gain, those are the things that Christ is the most stern against mm-hmm. and somehow we forget all this in the Christian marketplace <laughs> and we have to take all of this very very seriously because we have to render accounts for our actions yeah. and what we did with the money that we raised with these things and how we utilize this stuff um, again it's not all bad but how are we doing it and what are we doing and I believe it's a challenge for me personally and for anybody that exists in in, in a marketplace of ideas of, of, of the Christian faith yeah and I think the financial gain is probably the easiest to spot and to recognize right. and the vanity and pride one is much more subtle and much more dangerous I think for someone even like me who I'd say would have good intentions trying to go about ministry you know when you start drawing those types of crowds and everyone's looking to you you don't care about the money because the the ego that's just propped up is is way more satisfying than any dollar amount could be and and so it's it's a dangerous thing you know to want people almost have to come to you for help and and because there's a power dynamic there and so you know as much as we can i think to defer that and <laughs> point them to god or i mean i would have a, a lot of guys you know come to me and it's clear they need like counseling or something i point them to you or someone else you know and and <laughs> Um, but not but the temptations there for me even as a therapist yeah no but the temptations there for me as a therapist too yeah. you know it's like oh well, I have all the answers you know yeah. and uh, I can help everybody that comes to me and, and I can figure out everybody like give me a freaking break man yeah. like that ain't the case at all I can assure you I've I, yeah. I've done this work for a long time and I'm grateful that I've been able to help many people and, and certainly I don't deny that I'm not going to play false humility yeah. but I'm not going to tell you that I've helped every single person or yeah. that somehow I've saved every like give me a break I don't yeah. think that highly of myself yeah. uh, uh, certainly not yeah but the way that that can get twisted when I, I think I am 
you know, quote unquote, saving people. And, and then if that's the end, if the end is quote unquote, saving people, you know, you think any means justify it. If, if that's your particular theological worldview, you know, you can see how quickly you can get caught in that trap and even think to yourself, well, like, oh, yeah, I'm getting a big ego and all this, but people are being, quote unquote, saved through my big ego. So it doesn't matter. You know, and I, I just see how slippery of a slope that is that, again, I think the, the beauty of this podcast is to reflect on my own life for all of us to have the chance to reflect, not just look at Mark, like he's this crazy monster. But man, even for me, who I feel like isn't as much of a monster. I don't know, but I, I certainly have that in me. Even even if I have good intentions, you know how I can so quickly justify uh, that type of spiritual abuse that's much more subtle. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And like you said, it's, it's that justification that where you quickly say, "Well, the ends justify the means." Well, the the numbers are good, and this they they get into this point repeatedly yeah, throughout do. the whole yeah. the whole podcast in terms of why do we allow these bad things to happen and. And here's another quote that, that really struck me is they said something to the effect that, well, the reason people, the reason people kept turning a blind eye to it is because they kept saying, well, look at the fruit, look, look at the fruit. fruit. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, and we know that he was yelling and saying obscenities and, and degrading women and, and saying comments that were inappropriate, but man, look at the fruit, look at the fruit, look at the fruit. Yeah. And, that, and, and they said the, 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 somewhere along the show, the quote, something to the effect that well, we need to stop saying it's worth it because of the fruit, but we need to stop, start asking was it worth it because of the damage? Mm. And so flipping that where we say, is the damage real enough for us to take a real you know, consideration, a real look into it? But when that confusion happens between the individual and the institution and the necessity for this to be propped up because it's making money or it's quote unquote being successful or whatever it is, all of a sudden you stop being accountable. You stop checking in, you stop, um, you know, being held, you know, for for your actions, and so everybody kind of takes a blind eye because hey, it's working, the system's okay, and I've seen this play out, man, repeatedly throughout my life, mm. and 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 it's damaging and it hurts people. Yeah. When people, when spiritual abuse is no joke. When 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 somebody takes advantage of another person, another person's faith, and mucks up this kind of compass is what I the way I kind of think of it. It's like you have everybody has like a spiritual spidey sense, you know, this like spiritual sent you know feeling that we have and I think of it like a compass that's always trying to point north and spiritual abuse is kind of like taking the compass and rubbing a bunch of magnets on it mm. and what it does is that it, it 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 mucks it up and now it's no longer pointing north where it's pointing north but maybe six degrees off north or mm. or, or maybe it's now it's pointing you south and then you don't you don't know how to trust your 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 uh your your instrument anymore because yeah. because it's been messed with to some degree um that to me is is incredibly pernicious uh, because it, it makes it difficult to then to be able to trust again well, what you should be doing, what the next step is, what is God saying, what is God not saying, how can you be walking in this? I mean, this experience is certainly, certainly very, very difficult. Um, yeah. So I think one of the other things here with regards to that is, you know, people often ask, and, and this question comes up in, in the vow as well, is that like, well, people should know better. Why, why, why don't people know better? Well, what ends up happening is is that you you think when you look at people that are involved in cults or that are tolerating a situation like the Marcel story, um, you tend to th- our 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 judgment as outsiders to be like, well, they're just a bunch of dopes, yeah. or I, I would have said something. Come on, man. I mean, I mean like I would have said something. Yeah. The reality is you wouldn't have said anything. And Jordan yeah. Peterson speaks about this openly when it comes to like Nazis, for example. He's like. You know, all of us think that we would have been the ones to turn in the Jews in Germany. He goes, the reality is maybe five of us in this room would have had that much courage to do it. Yeah. Like the truth is that like that is the the exception to the norm. The norm is to go along with the flow. So one is our our, our natural conformity or need to to overlook bad for the sake of the bigger whole that's ingrained in us. But the other thing is that these leaders aren't going for the dopes. Like they're they're eyeing talented individuals to help them prop up their message or help them prop up, you know, their, their, their gain. And they're, they're not looking for people who are untalented. They're looking specifically for people that are talented, but are young and that they can take advantage of in some form or fashion. And, and that is again, part of the the issue that we just need to be a little bit compassionate when we hear these stories and saying like, if, if a friend of yours is coming out of a bad ministry, um, 
it's not necessarily their fault. It's not that they that they are dope. If somebody is coming out of a bad religious community, it's not because they failed. It's some. It could be sometimes because there's there's institutional things that are within that community that that need to be corrected. If somebody's leaving the seminary. You know, it could be that they did something wrong for sure and they need to assess, but it could also be that they've encountered systems um, that just aren't working as well as they should. And it's not that they're bad or that they're weak or that they're failing, but that they've encountered something that we just have to be a little bit humble towards in, in, in compassionate and understanding and help people walk through um, those failed discernments. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right, yeah, I mean, let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> just saying, all right, that. all right. Yeah. I'm just I'm just speaking today, man. I just got me all fired over this episode oh, yeah. for sure. A lot to say. And yeah, you know, like I said, these are things that I've been wanting to say very clearly in the in this in in my podcast here. Um, and I think it's taken me three years to feel comfortable speaking mm. towards some of these things, and not just three years of getting comfortable, but but really. I've wanted to lay a foundation. I I don't like hit pieces. I don't like. Mm you know, criticizing just for the sake of it. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that that, you, if, if you're going to criticize, you have to give the alternative. Yeah. And I think what I've wanted to certainly do is, is wade through what are the ways we should be doing this? What, what, what's a better way, a more nuanced way of living? And then being able to say, okay, now, now we can kind of take an eye towards, you know, kind of where are some of the challenges that, that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So, Excuse me. Let's keep going. All right. So one of the final pieces here with the Marcel story, again, there's a thousand intricate pieces, but for the purposes of our conversation is this notion of the brand and upholding the brand above everything else. Again, we've been kind of already dancing around this and speaking about it, but it, it's it, let's just talk about it specifically. It, it is, again, I'm in marketing right now. Like I, I have a social media team. I'm promoting this podcast. We're going to start promoting the Dating Well series here in a little bit. So I've done all the branding stuff. I understand the importance of a message. I get it. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being able to communicate very clearly what your brand is. I just rebranded the podcast a few months ago to find something that I felt more genuinely, you know, reflected what I was doing with the show. So I get all of that. I think it's beautiful for me. It was very much a a whole rebranding process was tapped very much into my own creative energies and my desire to want to be a clear communicator, both not through just word, but through the visual arts as well, to make sure that everything we're doing is kind of communicating very clearly what we're trying to do with the show. So there's nothing wrong with that. But again, the problem is that when our egos become mixed with the higher brand. So think about for the church, for example. I I, I really believe when you hear these stories of, of people's abuse and patterns of abuse when we look at the Maciel story or when we look at the McCarrick ones. So ones that are very, very clear or any, any of the other pe- pedophile stories that what, what the abuse survivors say that hurts the most isn't just that they were abused by the priest, but that, that the church didn't act accordingly or that it just moved this priest to another parish or that, that this high profile individual was able to get away with it or, or there was no real consequences. And we have to stop and ask, well, why? What, what culture allows that to transpire? And I think that the, in my estimation, when you think about the scandal in the church, in the Catholic church, that is, that the, the capital offense working here is the, is the sin of vanity, where, where we're preserving the look of the institution above everything else above everything else. And when preserving the look of the institution, again, are, are people owed privacy? For sure. Are people owed their, their reputation? Absolutely. But if but if people are doing things that are legitimately sinful in this regard or legitimately hurtful or legitimately abusive, then we don't need to be preserving their image. Yeah. You know? It doesn't mean we have to share all the gory details, but it just means that that we need to be on the side of the victims a little bit more and, and allow the church to recognize that although our desire is for the church to be perfect and it will be in her radiant splendor in the glory of God when he comes back again and the church triumphant right now is without spot or blemish, the church militant, the church that's still on earth, the church that is still operating and walking, like we're still human. Mm -hmm. And if, if we could just take a softer, more humble approach and not preserve the brand as much as we're trying to, then it just, I think we would be better off for it. I think we would be a much more attractive option to people because people wouldn't feel this pressure to have to conform to the brand. Mm. 
and rather just be open, like we said earlier, in terms of Catholic, Catholic means universal. I've heard Catholic also means whole. Like there's a wholeness that's found in the church that is still there, that that is that is still present. Again, if we aren't just seeking vanity for its own sake and we allow ourselves to be a little bit more transparent, a little bit more accountable for our actions and recognize that even if we are accountable and open and transparent with what's happened, that it, that isn't going to be a black eye or a blemish against the church, but rather can be an, a tr- profound opportunity for transparency and reconciliation and healing. Absolutely. And I think when we have structures set up in the church to protect it at all costs and, and certain hierarchical uh, regulations and, and things that assign absolute power and control to one individual without any type of accountability. You know, and they, they talk about this in the episode, you know, Mark, initially they had the kind of model of like the, the council of elders in their right. church and they were able to call each other out and they were accountable and they had to submit to each other. And then Mark eventually just kind of centralized all that power and authority to himself. Um, but when we have a system that doesn't have the proper uh, checks and balances in place and, you know, you ordain a, 26, 27 year old guy and, and throw him into a parish. Maybe he gets to be associated, maybe go straight to pastor. And all of a sudden he's a CEO of a, a small business and company and the buck stops with him. Or you have a 40 something year old guy and he gets appointed Bishop, you know, and he's the CEO of a massive <laughs> corporation and there's no accountability. I mean, the, he's the final answer. And, and so we, I think we have to question, uh, the, the way that we said, and I think there's a lot of what Pope Francis is trying to do in his whole idea of synodality and let's reopen uh, a process of dialogue and not just, you know, I feel like he's really tr- trying to decentralize a lot of the authority of the papacy as this kind of word from God on high and, and giving, trying to spread that authority and that balance back out in a more healthy, accountable system uh, so that if people are stepping on, there's some type of accountability there. Uh, and he's always alluding to that and, and, and every facet of the hierarchical church life, also the personal moral life, he's always referring back to the primacy of the conscience of the individual um, and decentralizing that authority. And it makes people so uncomfortable because, you know, then things are at stake and uh, it's not going to be all pretty and black and white and it's going to get really messy. Um, yeah. And, but that's who that's what Jesus did. And he hung out with people and he hung out with people who we would think are really messy uh, and walked with them along the way and didn't try to exert his authority over them, but let them, he accompanied accompanied them. Again, like, is there a divine authority that's given to the priest? A hundred percent. Yes. Is there a divine authority that's given to the bishop? A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. So this isn't a question of theology. I believe this is more a question of canon and yeah. I'm not a canon lawyer and I'm not smart enough to be able to know kind of the ins and outs of how to, how this can look. But I, I do believe just at a general level, there needs to be a conversation about what accountability looks like. Absolutely. And, and, and not just for punitive reasons. I think that's, that's the wrong way. Yeah. It's also for the men who sit in these chairs, yeah, who sit in these for offices yeah. for their support. Exactly. Yeah. And for their well-being. Um, to be able to not feel so isolated yeah. and and removed from the church as it, as a whole, so that they have support and they have accountability also. You know, I I I've struggled also with the notion of like a Catholic brand, and with the podcast here with Always Hope, it's taken me every bit of three years for me to actually acknowledge that it is like a Catholic show. <laughs> like and most people would probably be like, that's dumb. Of course, it's a Catholic <laughs> show. Like you know, it's, like all I do is talk about Catholic themes and and issues. So. But I really struggle with it because because I struggle with the Catholic brand in, in terms of, I think at times it can be what we're speaking about is that it can be um, uh, savvy marketing or uh, or sloganeering or uh, overly restrictive in terms of what you're supposed to do at, to quote unquote be a good Catholic. And so what I've thought about here recently, why I'm actually coming to terms with it is that their definition of Catholicism isn't my definition of Catholicism, mm. and and I'm not and I'm not ready to abdicate the term. Mm. Is like really what it comes down to. Yeah, and so so I've come to greater peace in terms of saying like yeah, it's a Catholic show or it's a show that anybody can listen to for sure. We talk about Catholic themes. I think the show is open to anybody, 
but but uh, but if you're a Catholic, you're going to understand some of these things a little bit more because of the culture and the context of of things. But I'm not necessarily targeting Catholics, but Catholics certainly are within my circle. You know, I call myself a Catholic therapist for sure. But my definition of Catholicism might look a little bit different than somebody else's. Mm. And 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 the beauty of the church is that it allows that because Absolutely. it is wide enough to be able to say that the church is big enough. There are the Ten Commandments, without a doubt. There are the dogmas, without a doubt. But even within those firm boundaries, there is a massive sandbox that we get to play Absolutely. in. And, and God calls for our creativity and energy to play in that sandbox um, so that we can be the light on the shining hill and do the work that is required of us to be his hands and feet You know, on this this earth until he comes again. So, yeah. so there, 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 we have to resist uh, upholding the brand, so to speak, above everything else, and allowing the gospel to just be enough. You know, listen, the, the church as a mission only works when the her when the wind is at her sails, and that is when she is pointing people towards Christ, when she is actually moving, when she's actually moving towards Christ. The church is an icon that that leads us closer to God. Now, any icon that is so close to God himself has the greatest temptation to turn into an idol. So whether that's the human person in our own ego, in our technoceticism of our day and age, in our, in our, in our um, exaltation of science as a religion, be it sexuality, that is a profound experience between two people that we've exalted into an idol of itself, or with some respect, the, the, the church itself or the brand, I would say, not the church itself, but when the brand becomes bigger than everything else and the brand, we've made the brand an idol. Yeah. And so, so we always have to be open and reminded that these are all symbols. They're, they're, they're icons. They're, they're windows that, that point us to the eternal mysteries, the eternal realities, um, but they are not the end itself. Yeah. Um, and as soon as we make them the end itself, the whole system falls apart and uh, the wind is no longer at our sails and we become stagnant and fragmentation happens and schisms happen and reformations happen yep. <laughs> and all sorts of things happen uh, when we stop looking towards Christ and uh, and only start pointing to ourselves. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, Vatican Square if you stand all the way to the back of it, looking at St. Peter's Basilica, there's the columns that come around. I think Bernini designed them, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm not sure. But they call them like the arms of the, (laughs) the arms of the, the arms of the church. And it's like these, you know, they kind of form this circle for anyone who's Mm -hmm. been, you know, I'm talking about if you've seen pictures. Uh, And I love that image, you know, because there's the arms of the church coming out to embrace all of humanity. And those arms are big. It's a big square, you know, and so you can be, as far right or as far left as you want, as long as you're within those arms, you know, but the, the temptation is to be like, no, you have to be here. You have to be here. And it's like, these are big arms and, and let's let them be that big, even if it's uncomfortable. Um, you know, and uh, as Tom Neal often quotes, uh, you know, Catholic <laughs> means, Tom Neal. here comes everybody and, and get ready for it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and to allow everyone to be everybody and to not have to, fit a certain mold or follow my particular teaching or my brand or my understanding of what it is, um, it, it, you know, requires kind of letting go of some of that ego. If you are in a place and position of some type of authority and saying like, Hey, it's okay. If, if the particular path that I'm presenting isn't someone else's path and, and I, in humility, I can, I can let them find their own path and not just let them, but celebrate, you know, somebody else finding their own path even if it's different than mine it doesn't somehow boost my ego or my name or my brand or my flavor um yeah the the architecture tells a story yeah the liturgy tells a story the 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 and it's supposed to be beautiful and it's supposed to be communicative yeah. like you said the vatican when when those their arms that are yeah. wide the square is big it's yeah. it's supposed to be massive and it's open. It's not that it's completely closed off either. It's open yeah. so that people can come into the embrace that the church wants to offer. Um, and so this is what I love about the Mars Hill podcast is that it has caused me to reflect very deeply on these things and being mindful of my own temptations. And I say this within my own self of, of my own temptations or pull towards vanity, my own temptation pull towards pride, towards egoism 
towards markers in 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 trying to really be honest and humble about those things and root those things out of me um, because I know when I hear the story of Marcel, it wouldn't take much for me to be a Mark Driscoll. Absolutely. Like it, it wouldn't take much. Me too. If I had the same <laughs> success that he had at, mm-hmm. at 25 or however old he was and yeah. had all these people propping him up the way that he did, and, and my character wasn't wasn't formed enough that I wouldn't have been able to withstand that, that level of celebrity, then I would have fallen Otherwise, that way or some other way, yep. but I know that I, w- I know that I wouldn't have been strong enough, and um, and so I I'm I'm incredibly grateful for for the show. Mm. So Austin, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of our time here, but in, any of the thoughts or any any of the closing remarks that you you like to offer about the show, or anything else that you think has struck you? Yeah, I think I just recommend it if um, if you haven't listened to go and give it uh, a couple episodes. I I think it's just incredibly insightful and it calls out a lot of issues, like I said, for us on an individual level and on the level of a church, particularly in a consumerist capitalist society and what we understand church to be, what we understand success to be. Uh, and it really presses a lot of those pain points uh, that are not fun or easy to look at as an individual or as a community. Um, but I think that really need to be looked at. And, and the real question is, I think it goes back to that spiritual abuse thing of, you know, even if we're seeing fruit, even if this or that movement or youth ministry or conference is producing, you know, X number of conversions, like at what cost and, and, and how many people are getting hurt and, and being left behind uh, a kind of rough image that Mark Triscoll often uses that's put in the podcast, like, Hey, you know, this is the bus and, you know, mm-hmm. either get on the bus or we're going to run you over and there's going to be a dead pile of bodies, which is like pretty graphic <laughs> uh, and honest, you know, to say and, and pretty rash and, and brazen, but I think we got the gospel. Yeah. And, not, and the not the gospel. And, and I think if we were honest, we could say that perhaps too about many things in our own church and, and in our right. own lives, I could say that about the ways I've approached a lot of relationships and settings of ministry. And so, yep. Parenting. You know, yeah. by way of the highway. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to come down on my kids and, and it, it's going to be what I want, you yeah. know, no matter what. Any of those things. Yeah, I think the real mark of the Christian and the Christ follower is the, the desire to associate with the lowly. And it's not something I have perfected or even got at all in my life. <laughs> but the, the few moments where I have someone model that for me, um, I have this one friend who every time he goes into a party or any type of social setting, uh, he'll go and just seek out. And he's oftentimes the most, one of the, what most people consider the more important person in the room. And he always makes a habit, right? Once he gets there going and seeking out uh, the, the seemingly most insignificant or most unimportant person in the room and talking to them. And it's not out of like show or vanity. He's genuinely into them and will talk with them for, an hour or more as long as he can because he genuinely believes he has something to learn from them and I think as much as we can get back to that in Christianity as much as I can get back to that, as opposed to wanting to position and and try and uh, you know yeah find power in some way or position myself to talk to the important person to to always remind myself that that's that's what the, the gospel is about and that's what Christ is about um, finding the person who appears to be um, the quote, the most quote unquote unimportant and significant and, and reaching out and loving them or the person who can't return um, my love in return. Uh, and so not just seeking out the wealthy donors or the people who will prop me up, but um, the, the seemingly insignificant and, and, and seeing that they're quite significant. And in fact, they're the most significant. And in fact, I have something to learn from them. I have a lot to learn from them. And I think as much Amen. as we can keep that disposition as individuals and as a church, we'll, I guess, be on a better track. Amen. We absolutely will. Mm-hmm. Well, that was beautiful, Austin. Yeah. Thanks, man, for, for, for landing this for us. So at, at the risk of sounding uh, like a complete hypocrite, <laughs> um, do you have anything to promote? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> people have enjoyed listening to what you had to say. Do you have a blog or something, <laughs> or, or, or is that just? I'm, am I just being too brat? Too? <laughs> I'm not on the the socialist medias these days, as my friend calls it. <laughs> I do have a blog, but I post like a couple times a year, so it's not worth following. <laughs> How's that for a roaring endorsement? Well, maybe backlog stuff, maybe stuff you've written in the past yeah. has been worthwhile. So yeah. I'll, you can send me that in an email and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Sure thing. So, <laughs> you gotta laugh, you gotta laugh at yourself. That's, that's all you can do. What can I say? It's a game, I know. What do you, what do you want me to say? <laughs> all right, well, Austin, uh, final question uh, that I ask all my first time guests, uh, what gives you hope? Oh, shoot. I should have thought of this. <laughs> you should have. You've listened to every episode four times. You said at the very beginning. You weren't prepared. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yikes. Um, you know, I'd say... This sounds like totally out of left field, but I just kind of where I just landed the plane, like, I think just the joy of the the hotel cleaning ladies and the gas station workers that I encounter every day and just the humanity when I'm able to encounter them and have a moment of joy um, that gives me hope because it reminds me that whatever I think is a big deal and whatever rat race I'm currently caught up in is not what it's about and so those small encounters of people who I guess we think is not so important. Um, whenever I'm able to encounter them and I'm really moved and humbled by them, it gives me hope that uh, life is worth living and it's it's good. Because if they can live life and, and find joy in it um, and its simplicity, then perhaps I can too. Amen, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for shooting from the hip there. Yeah, and, uh, totally from the hip. <laughs> I, I had a different answer because I thought about this. I'm like, if he asked me to be on one day, I had something ready. And, and I, was, it's, I have no idea where that was. So, <laughs> Well, it doesn't matter because the answer you just gave was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, so cool. may we all, all see the world through those eyes and be reminded that Christ came um, as a baby and he did not, was not born in Jerusalem but in a little podunk town in backwoods Israel <laughs> called Bethlehem and that he did not come from any power or prestige. But still, despite all of those limitations and circumstances, the Son of Man redeemed the world. So Amen. praise Jesus. Thanks, Austin, for joining me on the show, man. Thank really you, Mario. Wonderful. Enjoyed it. <laughs> right. God bless you. All right, everybody. Well, that brings us to a close. That is my last episode of 2021. Man, what a year it has been. We continue to see great growth with the podcast. I'm so, so delighted that we've been able to pick up some more listeners and continue to spread this message of hope. But I pray this episode has been a blessing to you. When we recorded this conversation, I think 10 of the 12 episodes were out. So the full 12 episodes of the Mars Hill podcast are out. I strongly encourage you to check it out. It is a wonderful, wonderful series. Um, that again, just gets into all these questions about what, what happens when when things fall apart uh, because of personalities. So I pray. I pray that your 2021 has been good. I pray that your 2022 will be filled with hope. So God bless you. Thank you so much for giving me your time. And I pray, pray, pray that you may have an amazing day. Amen.